Hello, I'm Monty Church, and thank you for joining us here in one of the greatest natural wonders of the world, the Grand Canyon. It's so beautiful and majestic to behold. When most people visit the Grand Canyon, the first question that comes to mind is, whatever happened here to create such incredible deep canyons? Historical scientific facts, as well as the Book of Heaven, tells us of an event that caused this and other amazing earth formations all over the world. Archaeologists back up this account. It's a story that is as old and strong as these great Grand Canyon walls. It's a story of the great flood that at one time covered all the earth. This story isn't new to most of us as native people, however. We find in most all our tribal legends, stories and an account that is given in one way or another of a great flood that destroyed at one time almost all of mankind. The story of the great flood carries with it an incredible warning for us today. You see, life on earth as we know it now will again come to an end by the hand of our Creator. So let's see just why this happened. The Book of Heaven's account tells us that a little over 1,500 years after God created the earth, the wickedness of man had become so terribly dreadful that our Creator God decided He must put an end to all life. Yet God saw that there was one righteous man on the earth. His name was Noah, and God did everything He could to save him and his family from the great calamity that was to come upon the earth. The Book of Heaven says, God saw the growing wickedness among the people. All day long they thought of nothing but sinning. He was sick at heart over his creation. He had made man in his own image, but now man was becoming even more evil. Then God said, I have no choice but to destroy the human beings that I have made. Man's wickedness is out of control, and it must be stopped. Then the Book of Heaven continues. Then it rained for 40 days and nights. The waters continued to rise until everything on the surface of the earth was covered. The water rose until it covered the highest mountains all around the world. Every living thing on the earth died. The only ones left alive were Noah and his family and the animals with them in the ark. After the rain stopped, the flood remained on the earth for 150 days. Then the water began to evaporate and drain away from the higher elevations which caused flowing rivers to create canyons like we see here today. Everywhere in the world today, we have evidence of the earth having been upset by the waters of a great flood. Even as far north as the Alaska mountain ranges, our native brothers are still discovering in the rocks fossilized imprints of tropical forests along with frozen remains of giant animals like mammoth elephants. As modern day archeologists sift daily through tons of dirt, they continue to discover new evidences of the great earth-altering flood. It tells us 
that the idea of a flood covering the earth isn't a fairy tale or a legend, but something that actually happened. Have you ever wondered why the Lord left these evidences and scars of the great flood for us to see today? As the creator, he could have recreated the face of the earth after the flood, just like the Garden of Eden was. But one of the reasons I believe he left it this way is to remind all of us today of the consequences of sin and of something else that will be happening again someday, very soon. Which brings us to our study today, which we call our Creator's Last Cry. When people hear the Bible account of the earth's destroying flood, often they ask, were the people living back then warned that this devastating catastrophe was going to come upon them? The answer is, yes, they were. You see, God always warns mankind when he's going to do something that dramatically will affect their lives. So, for 120 years, God's friend Noah preached his heart out that the end of the then known world was coming. But few listened and believed. Most laughed at his warnings and made fun of him, thinking that he was crazy to build a huge boat out in the middle of nowhere. As a result of their unbelief, all were lost, except Noah and his family. This story is so important for us to remember. You see, just as God warned the people of old, today our Creator is crying out, get ready, for the end of the world is coming very, very soon. Not by a flood this time, but by the second coming of our Lord Jesus. Why is God doing this, you ask? Because the wickedness of man is once more out of control, and God wishes to bring an end to sin once and for all. But most important, He is coming again to save those who have chosen Him as Lord and Savior. In the news today, we hear of the incredible increase of evil all over the world. We see it even amongst our own people. Greed, wars, crime, terror, it's never been worse. Jesus predicted in the book of heaven that the people of the world would become as wicked as those before the great flood. He said, just as the world was in Noah's day, that's how it will be immediately before I come back. Today, our Creator's last cry comes from the last book of the Bible. Here, the Apostle John says, and I saw an angel flying high in the air, proclaiming one last time the eternal gospel to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he cries out with a loud voice for all to hear, saying, Honor God and glorify His name, for the time has come for His judgment to begin. Worship Him who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. This solemn warning message is for all of us to heed. Now what does God mean when He says, the hour of His judgment has come? It simply means this, my friends, that God today is deciding whom He can save and whom He can't save. Some have taught that Jesus is going to take everyone to heaven 
and then conduct the great judgment of all mankind afterwards. But think about it. Wouldn't it be terribly cruel to be taken to heaven and be judged there? Then after being in heaven, be found guilty and then have to be returned to earth to die forever? Our Lord isn't like that, friends. Jesus is the Lord of compassion. He's not only our savior, but also our attorney and our judge who is deciding who will be saved or who will not be saved before he comes again. The Bible says, when God decides to close up this world's history, he'll judge the secret thoughts of everyone through Jesus Christ, just as the gospel says. Jesus also says, see, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay everyone according to the deeds that he has done. So you see, he already knows what rewards everyone will get before he comes. And what about the wicked of the earth at the time of his second coming? The book of heaven says, at his coming all the wicked will try to hide, but then will be destroyed by the brightness of his appearing and all the righteous will be taken to heaven. It's that simple. The man who opposes God's law will be seen for what he is, and the Lord will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and by the brightness of his coming. So today, like in the days of Noah, our Creator is crying out to the people of the world, to you and to me, to get ready for the great day of the Lord's coming. Now this brings us to the all-important question. Just how do we prepare for the greatest event of all time? The book of heaven gives us the answer. Honor God and glorify his name, worshiping him who created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Exactly what does this all mean? Jesus wants us to remember that as our creator, he is our only source of strength and wisdom. And because he can create everything, he can help us with everything. The next big thing that we must understand is simply this, that God cannot help us unless we choose to let him help us. Our part is simply learning today to choose to hold on to Jesus' strength. And this comes through constant prayer. God's word says, we must learn to pray without ceasing. This is what keeps us connected to Jesus. The transforming supernatural power of the gospel is a real thing, and it's given to those who constantly wait upon the Lord. Again, I have seen countless friends and acquaintances delivered from drinking and drugging and many other serious addictions when they started to begin to learn to hold on to Jesus. I've seen others who have ended up in mental institutions have their minds totally restored after turning to God for help. It's here in the book of heaven that our Creator asks us to do something that will keep us mindful of the greatest principle of life, and that is worshiping Him and acknowledging Him as the Creator of all things. To help us remember this, God has set aside a special time each week. He calls the Sabbath day. Each seventh day of each week, 
he sees that we need to be reminded that God's creative power is available to enable us to live a happy, successful, fulfilled life. He even rested as an example to show us this, and he blessed and hallowed this day. He made it special. It is a gift to you and to me to help us abide in him and to stay close to him. Right in the heart of his law of love, his Ten Commandments, he says to you and to me, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? Because in six days I, the Lord your God, created the earth, the sky, the seas, and everything in them. And on the seventh day I rested. That's why I blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And what is the result of worshiping our Creator? I will only honor those who honor me. Today, it's our Creator's plan that in everything we do, that we continually turn to Him for guidance. And those who are learning this are those whom are safe to save in the kingdom. When Jesus comes again, the fact is that none of us will be able to say that we're perfect. That would be so arrogant because as God's children, we will always continue to learn throughout eternity how to live righteously. And this requires a humble and teachable spirit. To those, he will write his laws on their hearts. So what he's really saying is those who are saved no, they don't have what it takes on their own to be good. It is by grace that we're saved. It is a gift from God. Right here, I'd like to explain a very important point. So often we think, I have so many problems. I have so many deep-rooted habits that I know aren't good. And if you could see the life that I'm living, what hope have I? The thrilling thing is that God takes all of us where we're at. All he's looking for is to see if we're on the trail of learning to depend daily on his help in living a spiritual life. If you're doing this, you are his child. So Jesus invites us today to learn to abide in me and I in you. To understand this concept more clearly, he gave us this illustration. Stay attached to me and my life will flow into yours. Just as branches can't bear fruit on their own unless they're connected to the vine, neither can you bear heavenly fruit unless you're attached to me. I am the true vine, and you are my branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Without being connected to me, you can't produce a thing. Really, the question is, are we willing to stay connected to our Creator? One of my native brothers explained it this way. It's like the packs of birds that fly in unison together. In a fraction of a second, they communicate and turn flight patterns in the same direction together as they fly along. In the same way, we must learn to fly through life in harmony with the leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you start turning to the right or the left, you will hear a small voice saying, over here is the way, walk in it. 
we must learn to bury our own self-righteous pride in the dust and allow Him to lead our thinking in everything we do. Those who are on the path of truly learning to surrender to Him like this become the happiest people on earth. Even throughout eternity, we'll continually learn that everything that God has asked us to do is only for our own joy and happiness and fulfillment. The Book of Heaven puts it this way. What is it that the Lord requires of you? It is to be just, to show mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now I'd like you to meet some very dear friends of mine, Jamie and Sharon Johns. They're professional native dancers, and they're allowing the power of the Lord to work in their lives. Jamie Johns. I am from the Iroquois tribe. The Lower Cayuga is my clan. And with me is my wife. My name is Sharon LaPointe Johns. I'm from the Soto Nation uh, that's around Manitoba area. We've been dancing for about 12 years and within the last five years we have come to know Christ. I'm a fancy shawl dancer. Um, a fancy shawl is also known as the butterfly dance and a butterfly represents change and that is what Jesus has done for me. Uh, through our dance we tried to express the beauty of God. Um, like my dance as a butterfly, if God has the power to change a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly in flight, then he has the power to change me my dance is the men's traditional and that dance is more of a storytelling dance and in the story that I share now uh, through my journey is how Christ has come into my life. Christ has uplifted me and has helped me through all my struggles and my battles. So it's much like the war dances they used to do and much like the, the hunting because those stories were of, of victories and that's what I try to express in my dance is the victory I have in Jesus Christ. We want to be able to let people know that, that this is who we are. This is our, our culture. Some of my uh, outfit has changed throughout time as well. Um, I've uh, put the uh, cross here. Of course, my wife made the design. She's done some for her regalia as well. Um, it's got the Bibles there, and it's got the cross. So some of those things, it helps us to show to, um, to others when they start to question us and ask. and. Um, we still have some of the natural stuff too with the feather cap I have here with some feathers of uh, mixed, mixed uh, hawk and, and eagle and as well as on my staff. On my shawl I have the vine for Jesus is the vine and we are the branches from John 15:5, and as well Jesus is also known as the morning star and that's one of the main symbols that we do have on our regalia is the morning star and I put the cross there for what he has done for us he has sacrificed 
laid down his life so that we may have life. And in doing so, this gives an opportunity for people to either to ask questions on what the symbols mean and us to share, even without speaking, that Jesus loves us and he is working today and always to save us. He has made a way to say, look, I love you just right where you are. But let me come in your life and, and let me come and help you through your struggles and through your journey. And that's my dance. That's my dance and that's my battles. That's my every day, even when I'm working or whatever I'm doing. That's what I go through. It's, it's the everyday struggles. And then when I bring it to dance, I, I have an opportunity now to, to show a nice little story that it will reach them. Somehow just reach their heart and say, I see something in you. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to that. What is it? What is it that you can do? And then we can tell them. The um, dance has come a long way for me because um, it's not every day I wear the regalia, but I, um, I've learned that uh, you have to walk the, uh, the talk more or less in traditional dancing. So with that in mind, where I was five, ten years ago, it's, it's not the same as I, it is today. With today, not only do I not, um, when I'm not wearing my, my outfit, I am also showing that, uh, that God is in my life and, and He's working in a way that, uh, that He uplifts me and helps me through my battles um, because every day is, it, it's a struggle. So when I have the regalia on or off, now I have a whole different meaning behind it and why it's, uh, it's helping me because it always remember to, to remind me that I, I, have, a, I have a love and, and that love is coming from, from God and He's taking care of me. We need to understand that our Creator is most honored when we recognize and worship Him for who He is, our Creator, on whom we depend for everything, even the very breath we take. This is the only way that we'll ever find answers to our problems, our addictions, and our habits, just like Sharon and Jamie did. Anyone who is born again in Christ is a new creation. Old values have passed away, and new values have taken over. As we have seen in the Book of Heaven, the Apostle John tells us that the Creator's last cry to us was revealed to him through the urgent messages of his three heavenly angels. The first crying appeal of God invites us to worship and give glory to him as our Creator. Remember, God says, Jesus our Creator has been found to be the great cornerstone of our spiritual house. Salvation is found in no one else. No other power is given by which we must be saved except His. Friends, there is no priest or pastor or agency that can stand between us and God. Only Jesus Christ our Lord, our Creator, He is the only one that can truly change us. But the third angel's message warns us to stay away from evildoers who want to stamp their evil ways into our minds. Then the angel continues to cry out to us to stay true to God by abiding in Jesus and His commandments. John concludes, 
I noticed the third angel fly behind the first and the second ones, and he also in a loud voice crying out for all to hear, saying, These things call for special endurance on the part of God's people who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Here, once more, the Great Spirit reveals above all things that we must be learning not to give up in putting our trust in Jesus to help us to keep all His commandments. Even the fourth commandment, the Holy Sabbath, which teaches us to honor our Creator by holding on to Him and His power. You see, worshiping each week on the Lord's seventh-day Sabbath keeps us mindful that God is who He claims He is, our Creator and the source of all life. I tell you, my friends, Jesus is our only safeguard. Like Noah, the messenger of old, cried out God's last warning before the great flood. Today our loving Heavenly Creator, who loves us with an everlasting love, is crying through His three angels the last time for us to turn to Him. My dear brother, my dear sister, won't you allow Him to save you today and to prepare you and to lead your heart and mind to meet Jesus at His second coming? I long to live in a wonderful new world that has no death, sorrow, or pain. Wouldn't you like to be there with your loved ones too and to see God face to face? I pray that you will continue to say yes to your Creator and yes to your Lord and Savior Jesus. And remember, let only the Good Spirit guide you.